we are back in the Football Sheds, your weekly <laughs> podcast for fans of football that live in the wrong time zone like we do. Roger's just uh, opened his beer at the perfect time. Uh, my name's John Hewitt, Jeff King is here. Good day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Hello, I also <laughs> took a sip of my beer <laughs> in the wrong time. So Philip Schofield's gay? Yes. Who would have thunk it? I thought I was common knew, knowledge. Yeah, I thought yeah. I knew that already. I was far more shocked that he had a wife... And kids. Than, and kids, then he was gay. I just always thought he was gay. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah, Even back like, in the was it live and kicking or what was yeah, it? Yeah, the little gopher. Maybe yeah, that should yes. be the tell. <laughs> <laughs> puts his. Puts his. No, I'm not. <laughs> Don't go there. Um, it's um, most like Piers Morgan coming out as a cunt. No, he's that's just. <laughs> we, we all know that. <laughs> I'm all a bit confused because we've moved around with your whole couch gate last week, Jeffo. We've got a couch in the room now, and we're all on a different angle and. Everyone's in a different space. So the I'm new confused. studio, John. I think everyone will have to give us a bit of leeway this week. Yes. Well, okay, we'll start, Rog, with your exciting beer introductions. What beer have you got this week? Uh, it's I've got, got Mike the, Tyson on it. Yeah, the Bouncer Hazy Pale Ale. Is it good? Yeah, it's quite tasty. Nice. Fruity. Uh, what else have you got? I've also got a uh, Old Wives Ales uh, Hazy Pale Ale Volume 1 with a big Old- picture of a... Hop on it. Old wives' ales. Yeah, that I had one just too clever. A few for beer. weeks ago, I think, and it was quite good. Yeah, great. Yeah, hazy pale ales. Hazy pale. Well, I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, where are you on? White wine from the fridge, John. Oh, nice. Wine I'm on uh, red wine from Aldi. Yes. yes. See, we're consistent. This segment would not exist without me. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the bit Rog talks slowly about beer that no one cares about. But a few people do. Um, but every week we start with a question. I but put whiskey in my tea the other day. Oh, God. I just had a cup of tea. Times are grim in the <laughs> King household. <laughs> I had a cup of tea. A little, what time is it? Maybe 7.30? It was about 7 o'clock, yeah. 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 Was it nice? Well, it was actually quite refreshing. Well, not refreshing, but like quite hearty. Oh, I think things okay. Which, we should maybe we should let everyone know. I've run out of other drinks. Jeff's just had a <laughs> new child. Yeah, so I, but, you know, the fridge was bare of drink, so I was like, "Oh, I'm in the cupboards now. I don't really fancy just straight whiskey. I'll have a cup of tea." Oh, but I do want whiskey. <laughs> yeah, but at <laughs> 7 a.m., this is a little bit of a worry. No, seven in the evening. Oh, gosh. right. Okay. <laughs> seven a.m. I've got to drive. Um, you should put it in coffee. It's nicer in coffee. Oh, well, that's, that's Irish that's coffee. Great, yeah. I just cannot imagine tea and whiskey. I'll, I'll fix you up, Rog. Yeah. Did we'll you put milk in? Yeah, of course. I put milk in. You can't oh. have a black tea. What? Are you, are you fucking crazy? No, I quite like black tea. I'm, yeah, I'm a black tea drinker. You sickos. Yeah, no, I a bit of Earl Grey. No sickos. milk. Delicious. Anyway, on with the show, John. Uh, yes, so let's do the bit about <laughs> God, the things. Are, yeah, we've gone to tea. We're getting really bad. <laughs> um, if you want to get in contact, ask us a question or tell us how to drink our tea properly, um, just find us on Facebook or search and search Football Shed or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and also, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review, and other people can hear us talk about our ways of drinking tea and beer. Um, and we'll talk about football a little bit. This week's question is an Everton question, Jeff. Here we go. Well, it's not really, it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard, or Bernard, and Richarlison scored for Everton this week, becoming the first time two Brazilians scored in a competitive game at Goodison Park. Since when? What year? I'm looking for. 19... Two separate Brazilians. Two separate Brazilians in a competitive game at Goodison Park. I think I know this. 
I think it's 1966. Winner, 1966. Good knowledge, Chef. I think that's because we there was a World Cup game hosted yes. at Goodison Park and Brazil played and yes. Pelé scored. Yes, it was a group game, Brazil v Bulgaria. Brazil won 2-0, Pelé scored. And can you name the other goal scorer? No, that's beyond me. Do you remember the GOAT from a couple of weeks ago? Oh, the GOAT from... Oh, Garincha. Yeah, Garincha no. scored, yes. So Pele and Garincha scored. He's been on the hallowed turf with his yeah. wet, soggyness. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, so they were the last two separate Brazilians to score in a competitive Great game. Great question. Park. Imagine that World Cup at Goodison Park. Come on. Yeah. But uh, Everton won this week, Jeffa. I so, think... well, before we start, there is only three games of football to talk about this week. So it's thin pickings, but Everton. Oh, so we have to talk about Everton again. Yeah, we have to talk about Everton again, oh. so sorry everyone. But they are in the Holy Grail of seventh. They've come home. Everton Cup, <laughs> how does it feel to have the Everton Cup in your hands, in, in your grasp? Yeah. I feel like... Um, the... I'd, I'd like to thank my mum. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just the way this week has worked out has been good for Everton. Right, now that is because of a few different things. So a few different just things in life. Firstly... There were only four games in the Premier League and um, one of them got cancelled. So great result for West Ham. I think it's a result of the season. So (laughs) congratulations. You should all go home happy. Um, The Super Bowl was last weekend. Yes. Which means there's a whole bunch of Americans who don't have sport to watch. So they watch the Premier League. It just happens to be, naively, the Premier League decides that this in the global sporting calendar is the week that they only have four games on. True, there's no other sport to watch. Because there's no other sport to watch. Yeah. Which means a lot of people watched the Everton game because it was the best of a of a pretty cool. dreary. If you're not if you're not a regular Premier League fan, it was like it was the one to watch. Oh, yeah. Sheffield United. It was the but it was the early kickoff. Um, so the great time for for most countries. Like yeah. so, the fact that Everton then went and won that game and performed pretty well. I think the everything went into our favour. So it's good for Everton as a football club. Did Everton? play particularly well I watched the uh, a bit of this one after the fact because obviously it wasn't on a good time in Australia still 11.45 at night yeah, yeah on a Sunday yeah. um, but the I thought Palace played quite well in patches and I just no they well they but they had they definitely <laughs> had chances like I feel this was more about Everton getting a result again rather than Everton playing brilliantly. I think a couple of the goals were really good, but I think on balance of play, were Everton really that much better? I thought so. I thought Everton were way better than Palace. I thought Palace offered nothing. Well, um, they played like Palace play. And they just sat there. They had a go after half time for about 10 minutes, and then Richarlison ran up the other end and scored a great goal. Um, and. I thought Palace offered nothing. I thought Everton were really good. You just knew that they were going to win. There was no other winner in it. Um, and they, I thought they were really good. They played really well. See, that is mental. Under Marco Silva, Everton would have lost that game. I mean, there, yep. there's a, everyone knows the stat. It's been like three years since Everton won a Premier League game having gone behind. December like 2017. So pretty much three From years. From two yeah. goals behind, 2015. Wow. That's a long time. That is a, that's a huge, <laughs> huge... And that's not saying that Ancelotti's great. That's saying that everyone else has been shit for three years. You know, that, that shouldn't be a stat, not winning a game from a goal behind for three years. That's, that's disgraceful. Yeah. 
But I agree with you, John. It didn't look like there was any other winner in this game. The first goal, so Bernard's finished. Bernard, little Bernie with his little teeny tiny legs and arms. Great finish, though. Great finish. I was impressed with Walcott. I like the way he sort of surged outside. Great cross. um, Great finish. I still think Walcott's crap, but in that moment, that was really good. To be honest, the the build-up play to get the ball to Walcott was really good. The the interplay was great. I feel like um, there has never been a more typical Walcott moment, which is actually does the best thing you've seen him do in a long, long time and goes off injured about five minutes afterwards. (laughs) That is is his career in a game. You're like... Oh, maybe this bloke has got. Oh no, Paul there, 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 Yeah, it's like, it's like there, there we're still talking about him. Maybe he has got some promise, <laughs> yeah. and he's now like what twenty nine or see, something. See, see <laughs> on back to the bench. Um, so Bernard's goal was excellent. Um, oh, I was just going to say about that goal. I think it was a good microcosm into what Ancelotti's done with the team. Is that first twenty minutes, Everton didn't really offer much, and nothing massive was happening. But one moment of quality, and they put the ball in the back of the net. There's no like it's gone over the top or missed or they've mucked it up. They've just taken that one chance and scored it. And I think that's a difference. And from... getting players in the box. I think yeah. one of the things that was happening with the way you were playing with Silver, and I think it's a little bit, it's the Ferguson side it with the playing the two up top. Mm. I now feel like you've got more forward runners and they're, I think the way you're playing under Silver, um, it just... There were so many times when you'd look up and you'd expect there to, you know, there was only one or two Everton players in the box, yeah, and, right. and you weren't getting those sort of scrappy goal. I know this wasn't a scrappy goal, but it was still you had an overload on the back post. Yeah, Bernard was free. Yeah, yeah, exactly um, and that right, was because yeah. he'd made the effort. But it wasn't just him. Like you know, someone's run front post. Like I can't remember it was Calvert Lewin or Richarlison to then you know take the defender away so that Bernard's got the space. But you had like four men in the box, and I just I didn't see that much under Silva. Like you weren't getting players beyond the the term that Ancelotti has for it is vertical football, and so what he says is that possession is pointless. So it's essentially, one of the like, what's the point? If winning possession is not the point of the game, scoring goals is the point of the game. So he's not saying you know absorb it and counter. He's saying that if you're going to pass, pass for a reason. Yeah. Pass vertically. So go up and down the pitch as quick as possible. So it's not saying be a counter-attacking side. I mean, you can build an attack as quick as possible. You don't have to just counter as quickly as possible. Yeah. So the you saw it with Richarlison's goal. The, the speed for which it got out of the Everton box flicked on and was up to Richarlison, that's, that, is, that epitomises what he plans to do with the style of vertical football. Now, I also think that gets the best out of one of your best players, though, because I think Richarlison is actually at his best as a direct striker. You know, it's get the ball to him quickly when he's got some space. No one wants him running at you. And the thing about it, he can run with the ball at you and he can run in behind. Yeah, yeah. And and I think if if you get him the ball quickly in space, he scares defenders. Whereas everything's in front of him and, you know, he's got to sort of pick his way through. I, I don't think he's as dangerous. So I think that way of getting it forward more quickly when you do get the ball is, you know, really helps him. Because there wasn't many games this week. I watched them all, the full entirety of the games. And what I made a point of going, I'm going to watch Richarlison. There was the bid from Barcelona in January for 100 million was euros. Was that real? Yes. It was, they bid 100 million euros and Everton just turned went, no. But I watched him and kind of kept an eye on him. He's really, really good. He's definitely a top four player. And 
he's definitely too good for Everton. Um, but is he a hundred million pound Barcelona? I don't well, think he's. I don't, that good. I don't know. The, the numbers don't really matter. No, but, but I, I, he could play for Barcelona. He's twenty-two years old, and yeah, I wouldn't see him out of place in a Barcelona shirt in a few years' time. Yeah, completely agree. And, and Ancelotti said that too. It's probably he, better he goes, than Dembele. He, he, like, he starts reeling off these players that he's coached and he said, you know, I'm not going to call him a, a top player because Ronaldo scored every week. Yeah. Ronaldo's a top player. However, he can be a top player. It's up to him. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, so of course he's going to build his side around it and play a type of football where he's going to run into space. That's what you want to see. Brilliant. Finish was brilliant, but I think the thing that struck for me was how hard he works. Mm. He constantly chases yeah. down, constantly harasses. Um, and to be the very best, you've got to do the donkey work as well. And you've got to do the work that no one really wants to do and put the effort in. And then luck comes your way. And if you end up in that position, you've got the quality to finish it off. And he's not a classic, I think in that way, he's not necessarily what you'd call a classic Brazilian striker. In that he does have that work rate. You know, and the and a, a bit of mongrel, I think, and he'll and he'll. I, I, you know, I try and think of another Brazilian striker that immediately springs to mind that plays the same way, and I can't think well, of one. He's, if anything, the player he's most similar to, and this maybe makes no sense, is Firmino at oh, yeah, Liverpool true. because yeah. he's not a true number nine. I don't think Richardson's a true number nine. But he'll connect play up and he'll put effort in. And he'll lead the press. Lead the press, do funny little passes here and there, and he'll score a goal. Every He's got the quality to, to finish it off. I think when you when you look at the stats, and there's been a lot of stats being banded around, but uh, Marco Silva's last uh, 11 Premier League games, he lost eight. Under Duncan Ferguson and Carlo Ancelotti, Everton have lost only one of their last 10. Yeah. Like that's an incredible turnaround, and there was a lot of skepticism when. And you've been winning them. I think that's the important yeah. thing as well. It's not just not well, losing. Yeah, you, you've you've beat you've, you've won what six of nine. Seventeen points since it's yeah. taken over, and, and there was a lot of skepticism when Ancelotti came in. And the 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 common consensus was that Ancelotti's only good with good players. Yeah, you know, oh, he's he's good at you know he's, he's a, a man manager. Like, yeah, he he puts the other icing on a pre-existing cake and then buggers off again. Yeah. But. I think that's an incredibly naive opinion. He is one of the best coaches we still have living and breathing. And it's no surprise that when he walks into a club, he is good at his job. He made himself at Palmer, which was taking a relatively unfashionable and underfunded club. And, you know, in a time when Serie A was possibly the, you know, the pinnacle of European football and he took Palmer you know right up to the other end of the table and made them competitive in terms of you know challenging mm. for Europe and getting into Europe and and so I think yes that's been a while but that's where he got his success and there's no reason to say he can't do it again and he was asked that question in the press conference after this game that you know he's been told the as he was asked you have been pigeonholed as someone who comes into a club with, with great players and, and not someone who can rebuild a club. And his retort to that was, you tell me a, a club that is looking for a manager that isn't in a bad way. Because why have they got a vacancy? Yeah. Every time you start with a club, you have to rebuild a club. You Unless can... you're Barcelona, because they fired him when they were top of the league. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, but... but they were still in crisis. Yeah, true. You know, even, even when you take over Real Madrid, you're in crisis. Yeah, it's, it's a different crisis, but there's yeah. a different level of pressure to those things. So you're still taking over a situation which is imperfect and looking to make it perfect. And I think he makes a fair point. It doesn't matter which situation you're used to going, I'm assessing problems, I'm going to work with these players and try and get the best out of them. Um, a, f- a few other players I want to highlight, I think Schneiderlin was excellent in this game. Yep, yeah, he was. Which I've got to take my hat off him. He's appeared again. For some reason, he's just popped up for his game. 
makes no sense that you can play Schneidling and Sigurdsson as your two centre midfielders in a four four two and play really well and look great like that and not get overrun. That should never, Sigurdsson <laughs> should be a floaty number ten and Schneidling should be on the bench. But he doesn't play to, number ten, which I think Sigurdsson's days are numbered at Everton because there is no number ten position in his formation, yeah. and that so and that's where Sigurdsson plays the best. So he's going to get to the end of the season. He's going to ask what the plans are, and if I was Sigurdsson, I'd be out of there. Yeah. Um, another player who played well was Dominic Calvert Lewin. Yep, he is. Great so header for annoying Richardson. to play against. Yeah, the, to, the header for Richardson's header for Calvert Lewin's yeah, goal yeah. was phenomenal. But when you said you were other way around, yeah, yeah, yeah. no Richardson's header for Calvert Lewin's tapping. Oh no, I meant Calvert Lewin's header for Richardson's goal. So oh, he, the flick on, the oh, flick on. Yes. I thought yeah, that was a re- yeah. like that is a really really difficult header, and he had to work so hard to win that to get to the ball. But to the get little, high it was yeah. a small touch, but that flick on was absolutely crucial in terms of. And when you see that, I'm like, that's partnership. Yeah, like yeah. that. That's two players, you know, bringing out the best in each other. And, and then Calvert Lewin was there for the rebound for the for the Richarlison header that came off yeah. the post. Like it's, yeah. it's the same thing. Like and if, as I said to you guys in the week, if you have uh, we do have conversations that aren't on a podcast. Yeah. So if you have two strikers play two up top and they have an assist and a goal each to each other You've done what else do you need yeah. as a football club so I, I do think that that bloke is getting quite a lot of credit which I think is good but I, we need to start taking what he contributes seriously it was a terrible finish though I know we talk, like, I was like two great goals and then I know you've got to be in the right place but I feel like every time he scores a goal which is quite a lot at the moment <laughs> but he tries his best to miss it. Yeah, and like, he misses missed an amazing oh, missed this, howler. Yeah, yeah. sitter. But I just feel like he. I just still feel like he's not very good. I don't, but I don't think. <laughs> who knows? I think technically there's something to improve on. Um, I th- there's stuff to work with though. He's probably a better player than Harry Kane was at the same age. If you think of Harry Kane, how he came through later. Because um, he wasn't 21, 22 until he got into the first team at Spurs. So you think DCL could be similar? No, I don't think he's. Got <laughs> and I don't, but, but they're different then, players. Yeah, and by the same token, I still don't know if Harry Kane's any good. Um, he's still, it's an accident. But I think the playing the two up front. If you're a defence in the Premier League, if you're Man City and you're playing against Everton, you've got no defenders and their defence is crap, and you're going to play against Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. You'd be really pissed off. You'd yeah, just, and they're both it, not going to give you any rest, any respite. Mm. They'll be both. I think. I mean, that's the thing I like about these. Like, I think his managers would love him. Yeah, they because do. he because he works so hard and he does do. He, you know, like um, I reckon he's one of these players where his managers would always say, "Oh, he might not be scoring the goals, but you know, he does but a lot yeah, of other stuff. Brings other because he does. He works so well, hard. We ever have churned through managers, and he's retained his place." Yeah. And you can't say that which for says anyone something. else in the in the Everton yeah. squad. The last thing um, before I move on to Takore's goal, which I definitely want to talk about. Uh, sorry, wrong game. Last yes. thing before I want to mention that Crystal Palace have a team that were made up of thirty plus year olds. By the way, it's the yes. oldest ever Crystal Palace team that they've ever put on the pitch. Wow! Yeah. Um, you can kind of tell. Was the I'm going to call it the Benteke goal or the Jordan Pickford error? What do you reckon? Um, it's a Pickford error. Because it's his near post. Yeah, you shouldn't. You should, nothing should go underneath you. But we we spoke about. Um, I'm glad you wanted to bring up Pickford this week because we brought it up a couple of weeks ago. I did around the media bias, and we're talking about Ancelotti versus Arteta, um, and how everyone loves Arteta and Pickford and Nick Pope. Pope. Mm. And the week before, Nick Pope had made. I think it's the worst howler that there's been in by any goalkeeper this season in the league. No one's mentioning it. No one cares about it. And Pickford's come out this week and gone, 
uh, made a bit of a hissy fit, uh, like, oh, everyone hates you when you're number one and wants to bring you down. And I actually completely agree with him. I think it's a very English mentality, and we all live in Australia and we've lived here a long time. If Pickford was the goalkeeper for Australia and he made mistakes, what Australian media and fans would do is go, he's our guy, we'll get behind him, he's brilliant. They did it with Mitch Johnson in the cricket when he yeah. was having a hard time. English media goes, pick holes, pick holes. Why is he not good enough? He should be better, he should be saving that. No, build the guy up because he's going to be the England goalkeeper for the Euros rather than just picking out the smallest errors and then ignoring huge errors by people like Nick Pope. Everyone's like, oh, he's the best goalie in the league. He's, he's got no distribution and he makes howlers. He's not that good. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think if you... A few, a few of them. Firstly, Jordan Pickford came out after that game and said his foot got stuck. He goes, that's a foot save, not a hand save. I tried to get over, my foot was caught, so I went down with my hand, I was too late. Yeah. That's not a mistake. His that's foot just, got caught and he yeah. tried to readjust. Yeah. When you happens? look at it, having heard his explanation, you can see that he's a bit caught yeah. in the mud and he, he tries to put his hand out. And, and then he's being judged going, oh, he should know better with his experience. Yeah. You save that with your feet. That, that's what... You know, you're like, yeah. shut up. First yeah. of all, shut up. Second, you are completely discounting everything else that boy brings to a game of football. Yeah. It's like if, if you are... You are part of the Rebel Alliance, right? And you go out on, on the search for Darth Vader <laughs> and you shoot off in, in your little spaceship and and you find Darth Vader and you get your, your light sword saber out and, you, and, and you're ready to kill him. And you, you, but at the same time, your house gets burgled. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because you're about to kill Darth Vader, which means the Empire will crumble and you will win. Yes. But the fucking British media would say, yeah, but he didn't defend his house though, did he? Yes. He's still got, he's still got his, his fucking teapot he nicked, didn't it? Teapot got nicked, Jordan, yes. so he's not perfect. Yes. Actually, he just destroyed the fucking Empire single-handedly. Yes. What that boy brings to a game of football is different to whether he makes a howler every few weeks. Actually, yes. his distribution is the reason why Richarlison's goal was the way it was. His, yes. his save for Benteke's second amazing, was yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Absolutely excellent. We don't talk about how if he didn't save that, Palace would have been two one up and Everton would have won, yeah. wouldn't have won that game. What people do about that save is go, Oh, the, he should have scored it. Yeah, it's a miss. Yeah, it's a miss. Oh, it's not a miss. He goes, yeah. Benteke missed it. He fucking didn't miss yeah. it. Jordan Pickford saved it because his positioning was perfect. And I think I've totally had enough of us eating our own players and destroying our own players when they're in the position of going they're really good we just always look at this other guy that's maybe better and ignore all the crap things yeah build up the people that we've got in our team and you you spot on about his distribution is so good that the way England play well we talked about how important it is to England Nick Pope plays for Burnley any goalkeeper that plays for Burnley gets considered for England because they play in a way that protects the goalkeeper 100%. 100%. Tom Heaton's okay, but he gets told, oh, he should play for England because he plays for Burnley. Nick Pope's okay, plays for Burnley, should play for England. Joe Hart would play for Burnley and actually look crap. But <laughs> but I don't get how people can't see well, it. Well, I think so, there's so more... Let me, let me, um... So uh, Salah scored a goal for Liverpool two weeks ago, right? Off uh, Goalkeeper assist. Yeah. Was it Alisson? Who, who, yes. Do you remember? Yeah. In the, yeah. like, the 90th it. minute or yeah. it just pinged it. And he said, oh, you're the only, first, only person who could have seen me and could have got me yeah. that ball was the goalkeeper. Like, that is what a goalkeeper with good distribution can do for a team. Nick Pope would never there do is that. There's no he wouldn't even think about it. It's not his job to do that. So I think that and if Jordan Pickford was as good a shot stopper as he was with the ball at his feet and as a distributor of the ball, he wouldn't be playing for Everton. Well, like, it's simple as that, but that part of his game is worth every minute that he might make an error or might be a bit hot-headed. I think there's a bit more to it as well with the media side of things, which is 
stylistically, which is again is another dinosaur aspect of football yeah. and our media. Stylistically, I think he's quite a European keeper. Yeah, to he, say that in he the kind of punches, he things. parries and punches rather than oh, you should catch that. That's you know, come and yeah. come and claim it. Yeah. You can't don't punch it. Demands your um, box. You know, he's more and he's more of a um, you know he tends to stay on his line and he'll try. I think he's a I think he's a really good shot stopper, um, but. And then his distribution's great. So I think a lot of it is there's still this attitude of, no, in England, we want our keepers to be solid first, you know, catch the ball, make the saves you expect. Don't worry about the brilliant saves or the great distribution. Just do the solid yeah, thing. Let, for- let, let your outfield players win the game. But, but you that, just Exactly. But, the, you know, that attitude has got us zero success. Yeah. Yeah. So I completely agree. I think when we get someone like Pickford that plays in a mould of teams that have been far more successful because there's a forward-thinking recognition that actually a goalkeeper doesn't just have to save goals. They can make you goals. And we look at the best keepers in the world. That's what they all do. And so I think we should be, you know, trying to encourage Pickford to play to his strengths, work on his weaknesses and build him up to that. And he he has way more potential than Nick Pope. Yes. Because he's got all those other things to And you can't teach that stuff. And one of the best saves I've seen an England goalkeeper make in the last decade was England against Colombia. Yep. You remember before oh, yes. Yerry Mina scored his last yeah. minute goal and the, and the game went to pens. That would just tip that over the bar. Tipped over top corner, full flight, phenomenal save. Yeah. So we're not looking at him going, he can't save. Yeah. We're looking at him going, okay, he's saving now and then he makes a blunder. And the, the luck we should move off Everton because it's been a while. But the last thing I want to say on this: How do you win a Euros? How do you win a tournament? You got if your goalkeeper needs to probably save penalties um, and. You need to score goals. You need to have that distribution. If you have Nick Pope in goal, is he going to save you penalties? Is he going to make you do something a bit different in an attacking sense? No. You might secure a nil-nil here or there. It might be a slightly better defensively. But is it that X factor that gives you something extra to win you a game? And Jordan Pickford can win us games for England. Nick Pope can't. Ben Foster Khan, whoever else, and Tom Heaton you know, When you say penalties, what make what people hate about Pickford is what makes him good at saving penalties. Yeah. And that is he's a cocky little shit. Yeah, which is good. Which when you're saving penalties, that's what you want. But also like continuity is important to Southgate. We've seen that through under twenty ones and now for England. And and as I, I said this, I don't think he'll be thrown by the media stuff. And he I think he recognized Pickford is his number one and the way England is set up to play, Pickford is a very important part of that. But I agree with you. I think he is going to be our number one going into the Euros. We've got f- like things I'm far more worried about mm. from an England perspective in terms of our injuries than Jordan Pickford. So <laughs> yeah. don't don't start like trying to chisel another hole. Like yeah. let's leave that one alone. That's yeah. fine. Let's focus on the other ones. Um, that's right. So quickly, as you mentioned, Jeff on Palace, they lost to Everton. Um, all getting sucked in. Getting Look s- out, Roy. And look, we say it every week, but they're so boring. Like they offered nothing in this game. They didn't really produce anything, and that's why I don't want to talk about them anymore. So let's move on to the Sheffield United game. Um, Sheffield United beat Bournemouth two one. Sheffield United are fifth in the league. If anyone put money on that at the start of the season, the well, good on them. Yeah, um, it's outrageous. It's absolutely can, outrageous. And they're brilliant. And do you know what I loved about this game? Go on. Lundstrom getting the goal and you could see what it meant to him and the and the team but he's just got on with, Everton, he has just got on with things so this is now his third game in a row where he's been on the bench because they brought in the new Norwegian the big, yes. guy um, and so his I mean 
to be fair, Lundstrom's been living a bit of a charm run because he barely played in the Championship last year. And then all of a sudden, um, Wilder switched him to a midfield role because he was a centre-back by trade. Mm. And he's been playing every week and, you know, darling of fancy Premier League, like doing really yeah. well. But he's clearly a fairly limited player that has been playing really well in the system. But the guy they've brought in, his name escapes me, yeah, look, I can't looks like he could be a player. But I love the fact that all their players just come in they, they all know the way that Sheffield United play, which is not a simple way to play, but they can all do it and they can come in and they do that, fill their role and then they get a result. And I just, I love watching them. Every time I watch Sheffield United play, Billy Sharp Billy Sharp the same. Yeah, he started this week and he's only started two or three games this season. He was top scorer in the Championship last year or one of the top, he was top yeah. scorer for Sheffield United in the Championship last year. And they bought in two or three strikers. Um, Billy Sharp and not once has complained, not once gone, I really want to move. Um, Wilder said to him in January if you want to go and play you can like that's fine if you want to go somewhere else he's like no I want to stick it out I'll work hard and he's given him a start and he scored a goal and yeah, that's such a good healthy way of doing it I, I have nothing but admiration for, for the situation they find themselves in Sheffield United the January transfer window they bought five players right if you would have had them project the type of players they would have been going for in that January transfer window, it would be firefighting. It would be looking at where they are in the league and then doing what Fulham yeah. did the previous year. But actually, they're buying players when they were sitting sixth in the league, yep. which means that what they're doing is they are doing what we always say is really good about clubs like Liverpool or Man City at their pomp a year ago, where they're replenishing a squad. You know, they're slowly upgrading. Those players, like we, we've spoken about the bloke who's taken Lundstrom's, I'm sorry, his name's forget us all three of us, his name's forget what we do. But he didn't play, he's not been playing very well. Uh, but the, what would be happening now if they weren't where they were is that would be panic stations. That would be we spent this much money on this bloke and he's not doing a very good job. But what Sheffield United can do now is that they could view the January transfer window like a replenishment for next year already. So these players can come in, they can get used to the system and actually they can be an upgrade, but they don't have to hit the ground running. And Chris Wilder doesn't, he's not being forced to play them to actually affect a result. He can play Lundstrom. He, um, his name's Sanderberg. Yes, That's right. um, but they tried to sign him in the summer window, um, and Chris Wilder had pinpointed him already, or their transfer committee, or however they do it, and said, "We really want this guy." And he was he wanted to play in the Premier League, but he also looked at Sheffield United and went, "You're probably going to get relegated. Do I want to come in and do that?" And then he's looked again in January and gone, "Yeah, I want to do that. I want to be part of that." Um, it will take him a few weeks to. Get up to speed, I think. But do you- are they safe? <laughs> yes, <laughs> thirty nine points. Well, I, you well, know, I, I, I say it jokingly, but I mean that—that's there. No one had them. You know no what? one had them staying up this year. Yeah. No one. Do you want know my question was going to be right then? I think this is a reflection of our personalities. Are they safe? I was going to say, can they make the top four? <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely love it if they, well, they. There's no reason why they can't. Um, uh, the two points off Chelsea in fourth. Why not? And can they keep up? There's only. I've been wondering, can they keep it up for the last twelve games four left? Months? And every time it looked like they were going to have a bit of a stutter, and you worried, and then they got a result. But I just think the way that they play is genuinely really good, and the, and it improves the quality of their players. It's and worthy. I, it's worthy. Yeah, I, I don't, and I don't think it's necessarily one. I mean, you know, history will bear this out, but I don't necessarily think it's one where it's as straightforward as saying, oh, second season syndrome, they'll be shit. I just think that Chris Wilder is genuinely a, a 
you know, innovative. a really good and, yeah. and yeah, an innovative coach. And I don't think it's as easy as just saying, uh, you know, next season Sheffield United will be predictable because I think they are safe and they'll be in trouble again. Um, I don't think there's any reason they can't, you know, sort of... Just keep going. Yeah, establish and keep going. Um, let's go on to the team that they beat, Bournemouth. Um, having watched this game, Bournemouth are just a bit... Cra- it's very flaky. I'm quite glad they lost because it sort of keeps them... Keeps them down in it. They've got a real soft centre. Yes. You can see that they've got a lot of ability, and I do feel like um, like Eddie Eddie Howe really. No, we, soft centre. We just spent the last twenty minutes talking about Everton and going all the difference a manager makes. I do think that Bournemouth have the quality to be a different side, but I don't think that they have the um, the gumption to be a different side. They can't change the way things are, and and. Do they have the quality though? Because I want they haven't. Like I look at their team and it's very similar to how it's been for the last few years. And there's a lot of similar players there that are quite average. And then, yeah, there's a lot of players that have had a good run for two or three years that I think are massively overrated. So the Callum Wilsons of this world, Ryan, Ryan Fraser. Fraser. Is so crap. Or, or actually had his best game for a long time in this game. But still rubbish. I just think that they have more quality than Burnley, more quality than Newcastle, more quality than Palace, probably more quality than Brighton. Like if if um But lack fight. Well, of course. There's this they've got a soft underbelly. Yeah. And there's and there's nothing else you could say about it. Because when when they string passes together, you can tell that they know exactly what they're doing and they have the ability to um to really project their own game plan on the game. Like, they can dictate a game. However, as soon as something doesn't go their way, you can see they panic. Mm. And and not only do they panic, but they forget basics. Like they forget to cover each other. They forget to turn around and, and, and look, at, look at who's standing where. Like, it's really horrible to watch very talented footballers do that. I think they'll stay up, though. I know, mm. I know you don't go down. I think, well, here's my it's a caveat to that. I think if um, Nathan Ake stays fit yeah. for the majority of their games, I think they'll stay up. I think if he has another injury, which they're isn't screwed. that unlikely, I think they're screwed. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Bright from Brighton Watford. Um, this was billed as a six pointer, and then it was a draw. So it turns out it's just a one pointer. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with six points. But I wanted to focus on Brighton first, partly because the way. What we were talking about with Pickford and how he was perceived in the media, a lot has come out about Brighton because all these games are getting talked about a lot in the media this week because there's, there's only three, three games. Yeah. Three games, yes. Um, and Graham Potter's come in and introduced a new way of playing, a new style of doing things, something a bit different to what was there before. Chris Hutton was there before and played quite a static, Limited. defensive limited style of football that ensured results to a point but was always defend first attack later a lot of people in the media recently in this week have been saying oh well they've got the same match points as they had last season or maybe a little Fewer, bit less yeah. um and they've not been improving and why should they probably if they wish they had chris hooten now because then that would ensure they stay up and i'm shut up <laughs> Everyone just needs to shut up for a moment. You can see that Graham Potter's implementing a new way of playing. It's not going to happen instantly. They've given him a five-year contract. They've brought in a bunch of new After players. After six months, they gave him a five-year contract. They saw something in that bloke. Yes, and they have a plan. And everyone that's an expert in the media is going, oh, yeah, they should probably just have Chris Hutton in now. That would be better. Just get him in for three months. It's not really working, is it? It's working fine. Brighton don't expect to come anywhere higher than 15th. 
I think they'll stay up. But I, I think, think they're far. They're in a far better position now they with Potter in charge than they were. Like I, you know, I think they've got much more ways that they can win a game and get a result than they had under Hutton. So and I just that makes me more optimistic about their chances, and you'll have a better time doing it. And watching the whole of them play, the whole. I think it's only the second time this season I've watched a whole of a Brighton game. They're really good on the ball. They lack pace. They have yeah. no pace mm. in their side whatsoever. So, well, and then they play more paid has pace, and the um, there's another young the striker. Guy. No, and the, there's oh, an O'Connell. Now the, the trouble is though, if you play O'Connell and Morpe, neither of them can finish. Yeah. So I think they both add a bit of pace that they need, but they're just not clinical enough to be a decent Premier League striker. So then you turn to Glenn Murray because he can finish. The trouble with Glenn Murray is he's quite old and he certainly has never yeah. been quick and he's yeah. not quick now. So I just think there's just a couple of elements. And Moy, we know that, that Moy is a very good player and I think he's shown again that he certainly can mix it in the Premier yeah, League. But he's not got pace. But he's not got pace. <laughs> yeah. And so when you put all that together, you're right. And I just think for, for me, it's the there's a bit of naivety at the back, which I think some of that is just, um, you know, continuity in playing together. There's certainly that, that pace. And then I think it's being clinical and they're just not quite, yeah. you know, they it's not played quite Moy. Right. I thought it was interesting. They played Moy in a different position this week. They played him as, so they play 4-4-1-1. So you kind of have one just off the striker. Um, and Moy played as the one of the defensive centre midfielders and he played in the kind of Perlo role so everything went through him they just gave the ball from keeper gave him the ball centre backs gave him the ball and he so was he was dropping really deep really really deep and he was like pinging balls left right and centre and kind of playing well so he was also in the box he was also oh, yeah, he's also he's been a bit in. unlucky I think the last couple of games he could have had three goals but it's been some yeah but I think Graham Potter looks at him and goes, this guy has got the technical ability to control the pace of a game and can pass the ball around. And he's doing that. But a little, a couple of times he got caught out. And when you get caught out a bit deeper, which is what happened with Decore's amazing goal. Yeah, it was a more mistake, really. Yeah. He got caught out a bit further back and then it turns into a goal. Second half, they swapped Moy and Pascal Gross over. And Pascal Gross went into the middle of the park and Moy went into the number 10. And he could do those things a bit further forward and it worked better. So I think Potter was just trying, can we do this from further back? And Gross isn't quick either. There's another player that's good on the ball, but it's also yes. not quick. So they, they just lack that kind of bit of dynamism. Um, but I thought Moy played really well, considering he did make the error for the goal. But he, yeah, there was just, he could have done a bit more. And a deserved result. I don't think Brighton deserved to lose that game. No. But you know, we, we, you've only got one life, right? I, I, I say this a bit like... <laughs> Probably every three weeks, I'll bang on about you. As you're got... pour, pouring whiskey into your uh, tea. Yeah, you just like, make the most of the opportunities that are presented to you. Um, so when we talk about Chris Hutton or, or Ian Potter, uh, Beatrix Potter, Graham Potter, <laughs> Harry, 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 Harry Potter, Potter, yeah, any Mr. The Potter, wizard. Yeah, the, the wizard, wizard boy. One or, one or the other, like, what are you going to watch? What are you going to spend your life doing? You get the same points at the end of the season. Who cares? Actually, you're watching someone push the limits of football. I, yeah. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I've had a few glasses of wine. I genuinely yeah. think what he does with that box midfield it's cool. is incredible to watch. Yeah. And I, I'd say the same, you know, we've watched 
Chris Wilde and we, we've banged on about how like it's actually changing our perception of what can be done in certain positions of the pitch and if, if Sheffield United were sitting in 15th I would be just as impressed with them because they're actually changing the way I think about the game and I think that um, that Harry Potter is doing the same to, to a lesser extent but I, I genuinely think that he is the future and we need to be getting rid of these managers who are not and not accepting that the Crystal Palaces of this world can put a team out Average age over thirty, and we accept that that's normal. Which Actually, is, it's not. Let I it think go. it's so important that Brighton stay up. Yes. And I really, my fear is that they go down, and then everyone goes, "Oh, we, you know." Let's go back to David Moyes. Nice, nice experiment. Yeah. You know, good, good on you for giving it a go. However, yeah, we're going to go back to the dinosaurs. But I just, I just hope they can do it. I hope they stay up. And you right on comparing comparing them to Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder though has been at Sheffield United for this is his fourth season at Sheffield United. Yeah. So he's not built that philosophy philosophy quickly. Um, and Graham Potter needs that time. And I hope, yeah, like you say, he stays up. And even if they go down, I hope they keep him, which I actually think they will. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. I think, um, I think you don't implement a structure and a style the way that they have and then just chuck your manager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think if they do stay up, we can we will be sat here next season or the season after going, look at what Graham Potter's doing at, at Brighton and how clever it is and how interesting it is. And I think that could genuinely happen. Can we just please highlight the greatest own goal I've seen in a very long time oh, in that game. Brilliant. I mean, what was that? <laughs> what Mariappa. Was I wonder if someone sh- shouted or threw their voice to say, you know, he's right behind you. Because under zero pressure, it was such a great finish. Like, oh. it was such a striker's poachers finish. Van Nistelrooy would have loved it. On own goals, has anyone seen their own goal in the PSG Lyon game this week? No, I've heard it's a corker. This is brilliant. So the his name's Fernando Marcal, who plays for Lyon. Um, but PSG attacking down the left, um, and then it kind of ping balls around a bit, and then they cut it back. And cut it back in a kind of Man City mm-hmm. way. Um, but they cut it back to him, and there's no one around him. And he just pings it right in the top corner. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see he's just like... What have I done? Why have I done this? Top corner own goals. So was it, was it worse than that? Worse than that. Oh it's my like god! Best weekend of own goals ever. Because I thoroughly enjoyed the the Watford own goal. It was quite a good enjoyed. diving header this morning in the championship. Own, own goal. goal diving header. Um, well, saying the championship, let's move on to the championship, Rog. Um, because there's been less Premier League games, we wanted to give the championship a little bit more breathing space. So we gave you ten seconds two weeks ago. We gave you two <laughs> minutes last week. You've got a whole 10 minutes, Rog. Well, I think the let's talk about the topper, the upper echelons yes. of the championship because that's what we're interested in, in, in who's um, going to be coming up. And there's a, you know, there's a few things there, I think, the latest of which I'd be interested to get your thoughts on is obviously Leeds. So the Leeds second half of the season, the Bielsa second half of the season, syndrome, implosion, whatever you want to call it. Is it real? Is it a thing? Because Leeds have, are on a dire run of form, which we West Brom also were. Let's... Yeah, they've just won two in a row. So West Brom are top of the league on 59 points. Leeds, Leeds are second on 56. Leeds drew this morning with... Brentford. Brentford. Which is a big game. Who are in fourth. Um, are they choking? I, I, well, I guess I don't know enough about the championship to say, yes, they're choking. No, they're not choking. What I do know about the championship is that the games come thick and fast, and at this time of season, you just need to go on a run. So it doesn't matter who you are, but anyone in the top 
nine or ten, if you win three or four in a row, you're suddenly the main man. And I think Leeds are struggling to get those wins together. They can't put the ball in the but net. But is it a Bielsa? Like, I mean, this has happened to Bielsa, I almost think, too many times. And I really want to see him in the Premier League. But is you know this intensity, um, I think, can catch up with players and you know the he clearly is a very you know if like you're talking about people like Pep and Klopp you know idolizing this guy and the and the way he sets his teams up and you think that they're not exactly um relaxed and laid back yeah. characters like they're pretty intense um I think you can sort of see how maybe these things can happen in the second half of the and year. well it can happen but also he has a very small squad he doesn't really expand on his squad and he likes younger players um, and doesn't tend to rush new signings in. So they've loaned the guy, we spoke about the guy from Monaco, Augustine or whatever his name is, and they've rent, um, mm. rented him. <laughs> <laughs> rented him from Monaco. They loaned him from Monaco. Um, from Blockbuster. But they didn't even put him in the matchday squad to start with because Bielsa's so keen on knowing that they are exactly ready and they're fit and they're perfect for what I need them to do that he won't just go, we need a goal, chuck him in. And so he's very regimented to his system, which is amazing, but then if it runs out of steam, I just yeah, I hope they make it up. I just at the moment though, you're right. West, I mean West Brom were also won. They hadn't won in eight games, and then they've just won their last two, so they've sort of turned the corner a bit. Um, See, and, and I think they're now if they win, they're playing tomorrow morning. If they win that game, they're you know six points clear, seven points clear of third. My my. Theory with Bielsa, and I'm going to just pass some some yeah. mm-hmm. uneducated judgments on the bloke here. Um, but the the stuff I read when he first arrived gave me a real impression that the guy was a very high functioning or autistic chap. You know, yes. he was, he was yeah, OCD yeah, he to, to the yeah. point where he changes light bulbs for their for their brightness. He he makes sure that the plug socket's in the right place. In the every in, they go to training in the morning. And then they have rooms that they sleep in. And the rooms that they sleep in have to be set in a certain way. And the plug sockets have to be in exactly the right place in every single room. Like, he changes that minutiae of detail. Yeah, Jesus. exactly right. And he looks at... um. He, he looks at scuffs on the walls in the in the dressing room to judge whether players are lazy or not. So whether they are leaning against the wall or whether they're standing up to attention. Like <laughs> it, it, it's obsessive. Do you not? So that would so definitely impact way what, down as a player. Of course yeah. it does. Now, now, when you first meet that, when you first approach that, or if you're a pep or a clop and you see that against you and you can't believe someone has done that much work on your side. You know, Pep said he learned more about his Barcelona side by Bielsa's notes than he ever knew himself. Yeah, that was the that was the quote. However, that kind of behaviour is situational. So when you're in pre-season and you're setting up for for the for the championship and you're working, you're introspective, right? You're looking at your own side. It's it's going well. You can see that you, you're buying into this. There there is a as you say, Roger. There is a point in a Bielsa season where the wheels always fall off every time. Now, I'm not putting this down to fitness or anything. I'm putting this down to his behavior is situational. He can cope and he can thrive in an environment where there's a long road ahead and he has the freedom to be who he is. But once external pressures start coming in and the fact that they are X points ahead, they have X games left and, oh, I need this many points from that, those external pressures put an unnatural pressure on his need for order and for focus. And that means that he starts misjudging situations. 
And I'm going to say, at this point. point in the season, he has started misjudging situations. Well, it's interesting, you said, but I'm like, if that's the case, and I think, I think there's a lot of merit in what you're saying, surely somebody could come up with an arrangement where you put people around him to help but he's not like that he's, 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 he's just he's not yeah, like, because, because he doesn't he doesn't absorb it yeah and, and who are you to tell him true how to set up a side when, when you when look at his notes yeah. what possible logic could you give him that he hasn't already thought of because he, he has that mind and actually he's right he has that mind but it's the external pressure which he cannot control which puts that behavior under pressure so i think uh, the, i mean the you know long and the short of it is it looks like it's all from being you know those two gone and then the Premier League is all squeezed up you know it, to the point where now Bristol City in seventh if they win tomorrow morning against Derby they will only be three points behind Leeds yes and all back promotion Roger and, and then you'll be in the promotion. Premier League we had a loss last week against Birmingham uh, but Birmingham haven't lost in nine now and they've been playing really well uh, they, they won the game this morning Jude Bellingham got another assist oh 16 year old Jude Bellingham 16 year old we I have a feeling we're going to see him in the Premier League next year. He's just—he's not the kid that went to Barca and back again, is he? No, he's no. a villain. But he's—we took—we've talked about him before because he's sixteen. Yeah. But he's like he plays every week and he's brilliant. The thing I wanted to just touch on briefly with Derby. So that's a big game with City tomorrow. But Derby are also Wayne Rooney's Derby. Wayne Rooney's Derby. Now they were in a bit of strife, but I actually. I've got a sneaking suspicion they're going to make a bit of a run for the playoffs. So since Rooney's arrived, they were right down, you know, looking over their shoulder at relegation. Since Rooney's arrived, they won six in nine. Rooney's essentially, I think he's played every minute bar like 11 since, since he's arrived. Um, and he's playing in that sort of deeper lying midfield role. Perlo, he's the new um, And I mean, it just shows like he's, Class, you know, I just that he is he is single handedly had a massive impact on. Well, I think we forget Dar- that he's only 33 34 and the highest yes, scorer for England ever. And when, like, when he went to amazing. DC United, just, he's a really good footballer. When he went to DC United in the United States, they were they were basement dwellers, they were the, the worst team in the MLS, bottom of the league, and he got them into the playoffs in the semi final that same year. And that's a reflection on he. Everyone who works with him talks about how hard he trains, how much effort he puts in. And if you're Wayne Rooney, you're turning up at DC United or Derby, and you're the first training, you're the last of training, and you're asking for more work, it's gonna. If you're a 27 year old guy who's been journeyman round the lower leagues, you go, I should probably put some effort in. Wayne Rooney's turned up yeah. and put loads of effort in. I should put some effort in. They're gonna look like a dickhead because yeah. I've been mincing around, and then this 33 year old bloke's come, and and he's the first in, last out, looking mm. the nuts. Imagine if he got back to the Premier League. I'd love it. Like there's always so there's always one play one one player one team that makes a late run for the playoffs, and often they're the team that go up via yeah. the playoffs. As you said, you just need to go on a run, yeah. and that you know that could be Derby, which would be great. Um, um, I wanted to bring up a team in the championship that played Leeds last night, Brentford. Um, partly because I put money on them getting promoted this year. And they're right in amongst it. They're right in amongst it. But um, have you heard about their B team? No. No. So Brentford in 2016 scrapped their academy. So Brentford had no money. Um, and in about 2014, they started implementing a kind of money ball system to the way they worked. And they were in League Two at the time. Um, and I can't remember the people that took over and started implementing it. But they've kind of come up with this structure of bringing players in, 
uh, improving them, selling them, make more money, um, and making players be perfectly fitting into holes. Rather, there's than, a French connection there somewhere. I there's think. A, there's yeah, a, there's a few proposals from France, France or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they did this. And now to run an academy system is actually quite expensive um, because if you've got having under 16s, under 17s, under 18s, under 19s, under 20s, and then you're under 23s, which is your reverse reserve team. Sorry. Um, so they scrapped their academy system and cut their budget by half and created a B team. Now, their B team is all contracted players um, from the age of about 17 up to about 23. And they are recruited on the same system they recruit their first team. Um, and they don't partake in any leagues. They arrange friendlies. So they arranged friendlies with Bayern Munich's under-17s, with Barcelona's under-18s. They played FC Seoul last week. Um, they played Rangers wow. B team. And they've created this kind of system of playing. And the teams they play against, they plan to give their players uh, teams that are difficult to play against in environments that are weird. And so they test them in certain ways. But then it also means when someone in the first team's not ready, this person just comes straight out and slots straight in. And they've cut their budget in half because they have one team to run instead of five teams. And it also means that they're not constantly hiring players and then going, sorry, don't make it. Sorry, don't make it. They just have a small group that are really good. And they also go, Brentford's in London, so they go to the Chelsea's, West Ham's, Spurs that are getting rid of players at 17, 18 and going, come and have a trial for us. If you're good enough and you've got the attitude and you're right and you're fit to our system, we'll play. And they're doing great guns. And they don't... So there's no rules about if you're in a championship, say. There's no EFL rules to say you have to... No. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's an optional thing. It was set up by a guy called Robert Rowan um, in 2014 who died in 2018, aged only 28. Um, He went to bed and just didn't wake up the next day. Kind of had some kind of cardiac arrest. Not the old man. In the rain, yes. You know, it's raining. It's pouring. The old man. Oh, the hole in his head. He went to bed, bumped yes. his head, and didn't get up in the morning. Yes, but, yeah. but he was young. He was a young man. Yes, in the rain. he was a Scottish guy, um, and he had been doing various kind of. He was kind of a big man on the kind of money ball thing, and kind of into that. Um, and he set up this system, and he went to the owners and went, "We should try this." And he set it up. And yeah, he died in twenty eighteen, um, and they're still running with it. And it's going brilliantly. Well, and and it's different. so interesting. Like, and and yeah. they're, they're always held up as a um, like a shining light in, like particularly. I mean, I mm. obviously follow the championship, but in English football, because their model is very sustainable yeah. in terms of they not, um, you know, they 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 run at a sustainable budget. They bring players in for not much. They sell them for more. They're not afraid to sell their better players because they're confident Neil that they'll Mopay, back. They'll, to Brighton yeah, they'll back their system. And now the guy, his replacement. Um, yeah, who's amazing. The Algerian uh, guy. Yeah, Arsenal are now in for him. You know, yeah. so it's they, they've just, they and they keep doing this every year. But at the same time, in doing it, which I find the really interesting part is there's incremental improvement. It's not like spend lots of money and there's this huge jump. It's we've got the sustainable model and we keep doing it and we'll keep turning over players and we recognise we need to do that because they if they stop doing this, that's where they get in trouble because yeah. they don't necessarily get money from nothing. Yeah. Um, because they haven't got their academies and their yeah. youth youth systems. If they stop picking the right players then yeah. obviously they stop making money but at the same time they've been getting better and better and that's why I've been optimistic about Bristol City 
because we've been similar over a similar period of time in that yes you know we just sold our captain to Burnley in the yeah. January transfer window he's the youngest captain in the championship which I was sad about because he's you know he's 24 and he's just getting got better and better each year so you're like how if you sell your best player how are you going to improve but it's been little improvements whilst at the same time you know improving the infrastructure of your club yeah. um, and but also being financially viable yeah and, Brent, and Brentford Brentford have been doing that and like. Brentford uh, play at Griffin Park and they've been there for 95 years or something they leave next season so they go to a new stadium next mm. season um, because Griffin Park is falling apart um, so it's a bigger shinier newer stadium yeah but they're, but they're also again doing it on a uh, sustainable model and so they've improved their training facilities and they're improving their home state and they're doing it all gradually not in a kind of Bournemouth way we've gone up and now are oh, we still live we're playing this shithole stadium what do we do now and it I, I really want them to go up and I really want to see them do well in the Premier League so a few few things on that um if you don't sell your best players you make no progress as a football club yeah I think that that might sound like a controversial thing to say you no. know you think you latch onto your best players but Actually, it's it's the other way round. You look at um, so a few uh, case study like when Spurs elevated their position when they sold Gareth Bale. Yeah. Everton. The only reason why Everton are within their financial fair play rights is because they sold Lukaku. Yeah, or you sell Rooney when he was exactly right. Yeah. If you don't sell your best players, you do not progress as a club unless you are one of the very top clubs in the world who are buying those best players. And what that means is you can then. I mean, there is a absolute undeniable correlation between the wages you pay as a football club and your success far more so than there is with how much you spend on players and the success of your football club in fact there's not much link between how much you buy your players for and and your success however your average wage bill and your success is is almost coupled you can afford more on wages when you sell your best players however as you say rog you need to make sure that you replenish them and we can look at two examples over the last um decade or so we look at southampton we look at swansea Southampton have always sold their best players for a lot of money. Bought them, and they've, yeah. had a, they've had a production line or they've scouted really well, sold their best players and they got to a point where they ran out of they players. They ran out, yeah. <laughs> and that was a problem but they got to a point where they ran out of players and they had a very terrible manager at the same yeah. time so they were replenishing poorly. Swansea did exactly the same thing but then Swansea forgot their business model. So one thing I'm concerned about when you talk about Brentford is I'm, I'm super enthused by seeing a brand new structure but I worry that if they get promoted... Will they have the? I'm asking this open question because I don't know about them. But will they have the discipline to maintain that structure? Will they be blinded by the opportunity, or will they continue to sell their best players? Because at that point, you need to. If Bournemouth were selling their best players, they'd be in a better position right now. If West Ham had sold Declan Rice to Manchester United, they would have more money to buy new players. When where you know Declan yeah. Rice can be injured or not, and then the the team shit without yeah. him. Had they sold him to United for fifty million, they'd be a better off team. From what I know of Brentford, I think they'll stick with their plan. Partly because they've stubbornly done it for four or five years now, um, and they're all just uber geeks. They're just young guys who are just like uber geeks and look at it. the numbers, and they've just gone. Well, I think the other thing works. that's interesting is you know you're talking about selling your best players and this model where you do have to have player turnover. They. This week or the last week, um, there was a fan survey. I don't know if you saw this. Of so, it's a, all the clubs in the English Football League, three thousand people all yeah. up, um, and they do a survey to, um, you know, look at the most the popularity of the owners of the clubs. Yeah. And so they've come out with a survey of the most 
um, popular owners in English football. And Matthew Benham, who is the Brentford owner, is seventh. So he's in the top 10 on that yeah. list. Uh, bringing up Steve Lansdowne, the Bristol City owner, is in eighth. So these are both clubs who are yeah, essentially... Okay. You know, turning over their better players, and whilst there's, fr- you know, I've been on all the city fan forums. There's obviously frustration there at selling your captain, but at the same time, I think overall there's an understanding of well, why. Well, and there's a recognition. You see, you know, you see what happens in the Premier League, and you see this boom and bust. And whilst you know you might have a great season, you don't want to see that happen to your club. Like you look at a Sunderland, like we all know about Sunderland because we yeah. watched it on a documentary. You know, they yeah. it was like they their soul was laid bare to, yeah, yeah. to the world and that is so sad so I, and I think fans recognize that actually if we can have something that is we can have a bit of success still we can get excited about it but it's also we can have confidence that you know our club is going to be still safe yes, and yes. yeah like for that that is and, really important to people and and you look at clubs that continue even as you got the ladder chelsea sold their best player they sold eden hazard that meant that they over the last three years have had the best financial result that they've had in the Bramovich era which means that next year now the transfer ban has been lifted they can heavily invest Liverpool sold Coutinho yeah. 150 million 160 million or yeah. whatever whatever it was yeah, yeah. he was literally their best player so there's always someone picking off your best player but what selling Coutinho did meant that they could afford Virgil van Dijk and yeah. pay him the wages he needed so you are better when you sell your best player because of what you get for him and what that frees you up let's move on to side stories does anyone got any side stories yeah, Lukaku, Lukaku, Lukaku. Yep. <laughs> Something to Milan, the intestines. Milan derby. <laughs> um, uh, no, no, obviously he was really good in the Milan derby, right? Yeah. It's probably fair to mention that yeah. was an excellent game. Ibrahimovic, Lukaku, like yeah. the, the, the joy is back in yeah. Syria, Sanchez, isn't it? Sanchez, Sanchez assists yeah. uh, was great. Unreal. Who knew he was good at football? <laughs> um, so Lukaku has, uh, in his last 33 games for club and country, he's scored 25 goals and had seven assists. Pretty good. Man United's spine. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd wonder why it didn't work at Man United. Now, I read a report this week about um, Lukaku's intestine problems. Have you heard about Lukaku's no. intestine problems? So when Lukaku arrived at Inter, yeah. he had his medical, and they recognised pretty quickly that he his intestines weren't functioning the way they should be. So they put him on a special diet, and he lost half a stone in 10 days. Jesus. Now he's a fucking goal machine again. Right. And he did look big and like bulky and not like his usual self at Man United. Are feeding him pizza? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> so, for those listening at home, John's hands are in the air like a peacock. <laughs> of course, if you listened back to our sheds at this point last year, we're saying, oh, he's put on weight, he's got slow, he's not as sharp. The bloke was overweight. We all saw it. We thought he was putting on muscle. He's got a digestive issue. He literally issue. had a digestive issue that was bloating him out that they spotted <laughs> straight away at Inter. They fixed it in a week. He lost half a stone in 10 days. Yeah, that is amazing. 33, what, 27 uh, goals how in does, 33 I mean, that games? just, that Stinks just of United. says everything... <laughs> you need to know about the current United structure. We yeah. know it's that, not, that it's not a, just the playing, it's not just the playing no. squad. It's, it's far more, um, probably had a vitamin supply, a sponsorship that could have fixed it. But like, yeah, how can the richest club in the world, yeah, probably not feeding him is like our Chinese 
um, noodle noodles sponsorship <laughs> that we've got. Wow. Um, I've I've, got, yeah, go on. You go. Uh, I've got a couple of quick ones. First one, did you watch the Real Madrid 1-4-1 at the weekend to go top of La Liga? Yes. Um, the only reason I bring this up, did you see Jovic's goal at the I've end? I've not seen it, no. Uh, I thought of Jeff with this because Jeff loves an unnecessarily hard hit finish. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Just really? watch, watch his goal, just absolutely smashes it. Like he's on sort of just inside the 18 yard box, but he's in one on one. Probably could have taken his time and slotted it, but he's just absolutely hammered it on the half volley <laughs> in the top corner. Brilliant. Like just leathered it. Oh, I'm Love glad. it. Okay, Loved it. I'll, I'll dig that and out. And then uh, one I just saw today Beckham in a bit of trouble into oh. Miami. Did you see this? No. Because they're about to join the MLS, aren't they? Well, and there's been, they've been in court. Oh. With Inter Milan, in the Inter Milan is, is the logo, uh, yeah. well, no, they're saying the word Inter is synonymous with Inter Milan, yeah, and so they essentially have ownership of the word, so that Miami, in the context of a football club, so Miami should not be able to use it. And there was a first ruling on this today, which looks like it's sort of going Inter's way. Wow! And obviously, if it does, then. Inter Miami may have to drop the inter part of the name. Just be called Miami. And be called Miami, which I imagine they've spent rather a lot on Money. marketing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, because, but Inter Milan's Internazionale or it whatever is. the full name. So maybe. But they're saying that it is, but they're saying, I mean, I'd imagine that I don't know the ins and outs of the arguments, but yeah. in English. Inters. Inter, uh, we, yeah, you know, they probably get called Inter more Mark. than Inter Milan. So yeah. why don't like, why don't Bolton sue Western Sydney? They should. Bolton Wanderers, Western Sydney Wanderers, the Wanderers. Wolverhampton Wanderers. You don't pull that out of your ass, do you? Who's old? Um, Wolves or Bolton? Can I? uh, I've got another one, John. Yeah, go on. Um, Did you see that both Mo Salah and Jordan Henderson had kids this week? No. Jordan Henderson's wife gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, and Mo Salah had a beautiful baby girl, both in the same week. Oh, that's good. You know what happened nine months ago? The Champions League final. Uh, Liverpool beat Barcelona in the Champions <laughs> <laughs> Beat them 4-0 to qualify for the final. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, my side story is about Adele Terrapt. Do you remember oh, Adele Terrapt? Yeah. And he was really good. At bit fat, but... QPR. Some QPR. Yeah. Bit fat, but like showboater. Oh my amazing. God. All the talent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he plays for Benfica now. Does he? And he signed... He's doing really well, isn't he? Well, he signed in 2015 um, and didn't play a first team game until 2019 for Benfica. Spent 18... He got there and they were just like, oh, he's a fat kid. What do we do with him? So they sent him on loan to Genoa for 18 months. Um, Genoa managed by a guy called Ivan Juric, who's actually manager of Verona right now, who beat Juventus at the weekend. So side link. Um, and Adolf Rapt has come out and gone, he's not really my friend, but he's changed my life. And basically this Ivan Juric um, has just told him... Put him on the hamster wheel. And gone, you need to get fit, you need to do this, you need to do that. And he's got fit and he's got well. And he's, he's gone back to Benfica, got into the first team, he's playing defensive midfield. Oh, wow. Really? So they made him into a kind of Perlo defensive midfielder. Perlo's got a lot of mentions. He's yeah, probably yeah. Be sort of 28 now, I think. He's 30. He's 30, yeah, okay. Um, but he's played... So Benfica lost at the weekend, but they've won 18 out of 20 games this season. Wow. Um, the other two, they lost both of them to Porto. They lost 3-2 at the weekend. Um, but he's playing defensive midfield, playing in the Champions League, starting, and he's kind of the 
midfield general and telling everyone what to do and he's the disciplinarian and he's running the show. I could nev- never yeah. have seen that in what <laughs> no. I know of him as a player. He yeah. literally had the world at his feet. Like, yeah. He had more talent than I've seen. It, like, it was so kind of God-given, you know, what yes. he could do with the football yeah. was amazing. But you could see that he was up all night at the casino. Like he yes. was that kind of kid. Yeah, if he gets it right, he could be really good. But on the Ivan Juric, who is manager of Verona, Verona beat Juventus 1-0. Um, no, 2-1, sorry. Um, and Ronaldo scored again. He also did very well at Genoa, and he's a, basically he's a manager to watch out for. Give it. For What's three. his name? Ivan Juric. Ivan Juric. Yes. Croatian. I'm assuming. I have no idea to be honest. Yeah. I've just read about him. Ex-Soviet block. Um, talking of blocks, it's time for the end game. End game, which end we're crap game. at. So why, why block? I don't know. Well, because it's the end block. Yes, the end block. Yeah. I, I've, we've been getting quite a, lot of stick, quite a lot of stick about how bad we are at this game. <laughs> so, so I feel like we should probably quit. No, I think the stick's fair <laughs> and we need to up our game. Roger, you won last week, so you're on seven points. Jeff, you're on five. I'm on four. I'm so amazed that you're losing, John. I am the shittest of the shit. Essentially, you know more about football than us. But and I can't remember things. I can't remember things. I can't believe. <laughs> and we didn't I lose like my first four in a row or something? Yeah, I won like three, three or four straight it's, away, and then I've just gone off. The, the public cliff. humiliation is really starting to get to the me. The pressure's yes. got to you. So, okay. Rog, it's your choice of a game, and let's see if we can get past one each. And one it's each. probably not going to dig you out of the hole. This one, I've gone a little bit obscure. Um, John, in the running order yes. that you printed off tonight. Um, You've sort of cut off some of the teams. Yeah, it's meant to say Wolverhampton Wanderers, but it just says Ton Wanderers. Well, which to me, the way my brain Bolton. read that was Bolton. Yeah. So I've gone Bolton Wanderers versus Leicester City. So I've chosen a Bolton Wanderers versus Leicester City game from December 2003. Wow. So Big Sam having a happy time at Bolton at this point. And Mickey Adams. Do you remember Mickey, Mickey Adams? Adams? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leicester. Jesus. Holy shit. Who goes first? Can I go first? I didn't go first no, last week. No, I won week. last week. Oh, I haven't um, been first in ages. But go on then, Jeff. Because the 2003... John uh, was very magnanimous there, Jeff. JJ Kocha. That was my first one. <laughs> JJ Okocha is correct. Yeah. So, who played for Leicester in 2003? Oh, um, I think if you guys think about this, you'll, there's a few there. Yuri Djorkaev. Yuri Djorkaev is correct. Oh. What a player. Love, loved him um, at Inter Milan. I can't believe he was at Bolton. Yeah. Ivan Campo. Ivan Campo, correct. Oh. Scored a goal. <laughs> Oh, what was the score? Uh, the score was two all. Yusi Yaskalainen. Yusi Yaskalainen, <laughs> correct. Oh, no. Um, oh. Who uh, played for Leicester in 2003? Uh, uh, Kevin Davis? Kevin Davis, correct. Oh! <laughs> he was my favourite player in this team because it was like all you know the era of all these exotic players. Oh, and you had Kevin so Davis, excited. the big lumper. And he always get the most yellow cards. <laughs> yeah. End of the season, Kevin Davis had forty-seven yellow cards. Um, talking of Kevin's, I'm going to go for Kevin Nolan. Ooh, Kevin Nolan, correct. Yes. 
Come on. We're, we're getting through the bottom team. I, I prefer older. Leicester Les, are there too. Don't forget about Leicester. Um, okay, I've, I've got a complete blank Leicester. There's a few there that you... Um, oh, it's gonna, this is a 50-50. I've got I've, one of two names I've got written on my, on my notes right here. Um... Leicester, were, were they sponsored by um, Walker's Crisps <laughs> at the time? Do you know? Can I you see a picture? I don't know. I have no idea, Jeff. Is Robbie Savage playing for Leicester? Robbie Savage is not <gasps> playing for yes! Leicester. I oh, still have to get one right, though, don't you? Oh, I do. No! He didn't come off the bench? No. No. Um... Oh no, that's too old. Oh, sorry, Jeff. When did Robbie Savage leave Leicester? I don't know, but it's... he wasn't playing in this game in two thousand three, and he wasn't Fuck. didn't come off the bench. Nicholas Anelka for Bolton. Ba bam. Oh, you're back in, Jeff. Ooh. Breathe again, Jeff. I can't um, think of that Leicester team at all. Uh. He's what's this? It's like it's a, a good one. A yeah. Swedish striker. Is he Swedish or Finnish <laughs> or Danish? A, a Scandinavian striker. Am I on the right? I'm looking at your face, Roger. Am I on the right? Oh fuck! I'll Possibly. Just, I'll bank that one. Um, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember his first name. I think he played Smith. right back. Is there a guy? Called <laughs> I might need a bit more, Jeff. But is, he, is there a Taylor? <laughs> you can't ask oh. that. Matt. No clue. Matty Taylor. No, it's not Matt Taylor. No, I'm going to have to take that answer. And it's that... Taylor, Stuart Taylor, something Taylor. Um, no, play right back for Bolton. No. Oh, Incorrect, fuck. John. Okay, so there's got to be a Leicester player that I can name from 2003. Pre-Hesky days, post-Hesky days. Muzzy, is it still there? Um... Who else played for Leicester during that time? Is this a league game? Mm-hmm. Were they in the Premier League? It's a Premier League game, yep. Oh, Neil Lennon. I feel like I'm going too old. Bolton at home. Come on, John. Muzzy, is it? Muzzy, is it correct? Oh. Yes. Uh, there's a, so the big one for Bolton that I thought you might have got, JJ. I said JJ. Oh, oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I was yeah. there. oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> who else did you get so UC Escaline in goal which you got Nicky Hunt was probably playing right back Bruno Ngotti was playing at the oh, back with hard. Campo Simon Charlton left back Yuri Gilkoev Ricardo Gardner is the other oh, one that I, thought I was trying to think I was like this uh, Stelios Janikopoulos yes uh, Kevin Nolan JJ Kocha Kevin Davis Jeff Henrik Pedersen that's Bit of a meatball sweet. striker yeah, 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 came off the bench for Stelios. Leicester, Danny Coyne in goal. John Curtis, ex Man United, right back. Matt Heath. Oh, God. Callum Davidson. What oh. a crap side that. Rick, Ricky Simica. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, ben Thatcher, Muzzy, is it? Craig Hignett. Oh, God, this is uh, an awful James Scowcroft Sc- James Scowcroft and Paul Dickoff. How can Les Ferdinand it... came off the bench. But Leicester? How, yeah. how, can, how can it, when we choose a game from 2016, it's like Man United-Arsenal, and we don't even get past the first round, and we go deep with a 2003 game. I'm convinced that older teams, they had smaller squads, they changed less, and they're 
imprinted in your brain. Uh, and we watched a lot of football at that time. Yeah, yes. I'm disappointed with that result. Uh, that, I, I enjoyed that. that one. That was good. Good game. Um, we better get out of here. But uh, has anyone got anything before we go? No. 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 Silence. Yeah, great. Thanks for listening, everyone. We uh, will be back next week. Um, don't forget, if you want to get in contact or ask us questions about anything or tell us we're wrong about something, just find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Bye.